Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It wasn't until Mad Max that I really stopped to appreciate it. You know, I made sure that I looked at every little thing in the studio because it's the pinnacle of everything I ever wanted. And I made sure that I remembered every little moment. That is Australian television producer, author, and all-around celebrity, Quentin Kennahan. And this is episode 213 of the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast. Merry Christmas, if that's your thing. It's judging by if everything worked, if the internet hasn't broken in the time since I recorded this and, uh, well, what's supposed to be December 25th, Australia time, it should be Christmas Day. If you're in Europe, it is Christmas Eve. But if you're in Europe and traditions still apply like they did when my family was there, Merry Christmas as well. If Christmas isn't your thing, then... Enjoy the Chinese restaurants and enjoy the movies because that's pretty much what happens around the world on Christmas if you're not a uh, Jesus's birthday kind of person. Um, If you're listening to this today and it is December the 25th, you've made it. It's the big day. It's the big one. It's you on your brand new, spanky, shiny, beautiful, new techie device listening to your favorite podcasts and hopefully of course this one's number 20 on your list that's fine that's fine i hope uh you have a great time i hope you and your rallies have a great time getting together no matter what happens over this break um in australia people tend to have left work uh, about three or four days ago and generally don't come back until about the second week of january that's usually how it goes um in the States where I used to live, uh, Christmas isn't as big a deal. But, um, yeah, in Australia, there's a, there's a lot of nobody goes anywhere for about a month. So uh, here you are. You've made it. You've done it. Um, so I hope you got what you wanted. I hope you gave what you wanted to give. And I hope the food is going to be fantastic. Um, what are we doing today? Oh, yeah. We're uh, having – it's uh, Audrey's grandma's 100th birthday. Um I guess all month. It happened about 10 days ago, but pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. The world that she was born into versus, I mean, there's, well, there's a photo I took of uh, the oldest Griffin, Nana Griffin, who's 100, and the youngest Griffin, who's three months old, a little boy. And the world that each were born into, so completely different from each other. But, you know, if you think of, and this is like, sometimes I get a bit down about, you know, the future and all it holds. But if you think of the world that Nana Griffin was born into a hundred years ago, where she lived, um, there was no electricity, no refrigeration, no any kind of communication that wasn't postal. 
um, a world plunged into war. The most civilized societies at the time were blowing each other to smithereens in a massive mechanized death machine. And here we are 100 years later. So the average age, I don't know what of expect, life expectancy was at 50 if you're lucky. And here we are 100 years later with antibiotics and, you know, using diplomacy instead of war in pretty much most cases. Um, incredible amounts of food production and refrigeration and, you know, well, like it's extraordinary. Like, and most of every single one of those leaps forward has been pretty much for good, let's say. Imagine what this kid's going to see when this kid's 100. I think we're going to be okay. Because we've always come down, at the end of the day, we come down generally on the side of good. And so it did, it did make me feel a whole lot better about stuff, watching this beautiful, beautiful lady who's 100 years old nuzzle up against this cherubic, little pudgy, fat above the knees, kind of fresh out of the womb kid. It was pretty great. To check in with you this week, I hope whatever you're doing uh, this week, obviously there might be a bit of stress with uh, relatives and in-laws and stuff like that around. Um, I feel you. Um, as you know, I've, I've been off meds now for, uh, it'll be my third week tomorrow, Boxing Day. Um, I asked Audrey, because I had to talk to my psychiatrist today about what was going on. I said, can you just tell me what I've been like? And she said, oh, first week you were a punish. Everything you looked at, you looked at negatively, and you were really, really kind of just, just really jump, really really edgy, really quick to be cranky. Um, and as, as things have, you know, kind of started to even out a bit, I've noticed the anxieties come back a bit, like, and that sucks. And the ruminations have come back a bit, which also sucks, but it's not as bad as it used to be. And I find that when the anxiety comes, I can knock it out pretty quickly with jumping on my bike and, and smashing out 45 minutes or an hour of, of kind of hard intervals or stuff like that. And, you know, that in itself is excellent. You know, the, 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 the chemicals that I would take orally through a pill, um, the chemicals in my body have a, have a similar effect and all I need to do is unlock them. And to unlock them, physical exercise. And that's pretty cool to know that even though I'm not on meds at the moment, that if I need relief from a weird head, that it's there for me. Now, bear in mind that when I was really, really sick, even the longest run couldn't make me feel better. So it's nice that at the moment I'm in a space where exercises can do the trick. Um, so that's helping me deal with it. I'm trying to get my writing done and, and trying to, I guess, do the brain processing work before I need to. So I'm kind of committed now to... I think I'm going to have to do it twice a day just to write stuff down, just to clear out my head and rationalize things and just kind of keep letting the valve off before uh, I get that big spike um, of anxiety. If you've never had anxiety, awesome for you. Um, anxiety's like, it's like hearing the music for the boss at the end of a level on a video game, but the boss never appearing. It's like you get ready for a fight or you get ready for danger, but the danger never comes. And rumination is, is not being able to let go of a thought, not being able to go, oh, yeah, I did that thing and it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. Oh, well. Rumination is, oh, yeah, I did that thing and it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. I'm a terrible human because I did that thing that didn't work out the way I wanted it to. I'm an awful human being because I did that thing that I didn't want to do and now everything is horrible and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and keeps drilling down. So, um that's what it can be like. So yeah, jumping on the bike. That's what it's all about. Um, but one of the wonderful things about um, coming off meds um, is that I have a, a bit more access to kind of more subtle um, expressions of emotion, which is nice. Um, we went and saw the premiere of The Greatest Showman, the new Hugh Jackman film the other day. I, I did the intro and interviewed the cast before the screening. And I'd, I'd seen the film already. I'd saw it on the Monday. And then on the Wednesday, we did the big premiere and I'm sitting there in the theater and this movie is pretty much weaponized musical delivery of goosebumps. It, every song is key changes and uplifting words and choruses and I can do it if I dream it. All that. It's amazing. 
and I'm getting goosebumps and I haven't had goosebumps listening to music in so long. I don't know why. I think the meds just might have knocked off those kind of kind of subtler bodily reactions um, to emotion and having goosebumps to music. And I turned to Audrey and I'm trying to tell Audrey, oh my goodness, I'm getting goosebumps again. I could only get goose out. And I stopped talking and I fell into her shoulder and I started crying because I was so happy that I was getting goosebumps listening to music again because that was such a part of my life. And while I wasn't proper crazy anymore, it wasn't around in my life anymore because of the, the, the meds. And then Audrey looks over at me. We've been together three and a half years now. She looks over at me and she's seeing me cry, like properly cry for the first time. Add a song in a Hugh Jackman film. It's a fucking good song, though. It's called This Is Me. You'll know it when you see it. So, yeah, that was wild. Um, so, I'm, you know, it's nice. Even though the anxiety and the ruminations around, it's nice to know that, oh, the good stuff's coming back. Yeah, that'll be nice. So I hope you go and get yourself some goosebumps this week. Go and check that flick if you want to get some. They're definitely there. You know, that or listen to some Viking heavy metal, which is what I listen to when I'm on the bike, and that that's pretty good. By the sword in my hand. That kind of shit. It's pretty good. Um, so let me get you onto this episode for this week. Now, because it is the summer break, I am uh, giving brand, brand, brand new episodes a rest because um, my production team needs a rest as well. So Andy, my producer, who's um, cutting this together, Merry Christmas, Andy, and Haley, my producer, who's organized all the interviews this year, Merry Christmas, Haley. Um, this episode that you're about to hear was originally an episode that was only for people who were on the exclusive feed that was available if you are a Patreon supporter. Uh, up until about the middle of the year on Patreon, you could support and get uh, access to an exclusive RSS feed that gave you exclusive episodes. And this is one of those episodes, one of those exclusive episodes. So not, not many of you have already heard it, but if you have, it's worth a second listen. My guest today is... A giant amongst men. My guest today is Quentin Kennehan. You can find him on Twitter at Q K E N I H A N. Q Kennehan. Uh, Quentin and I have known each other for about 15 years now. I'm, I'm glad to say he's a friend. Quentin was born with osteogenesis imperfecta, also known as brittle bone disease. Basically, if you give Quentin a really good hug, you, you might break him. You might break his bones. The last time he told me, which is a little while back now, because I you know, don't ask this question much, but the last time he told me, he, at last count, he had broken 662 bones in his life. That's a lot of broken bones. That number's probably been eclipsed by now, but just bear that in mind. <laughs> um, Quentin's been told by too many doctors to count, ooh, I'm sorry to say this could be it, or you might not make it, mate. And he's like, oh, I hate to burst your bubble, pal. You're not the first person to tell me that. But his drive, his persistence, his passion for life just keep going. And his perspective, where we can all learn from, gets higher and higher. Quentin has been in a wheelchair his entire life. He lives in Adelaide with his excellent dog, Patchy. Uh, you can find Quentin on Twitter and Instagram, He's Q Kennehan, Q K E N H. No, K. Fuck, man. Q K E N I H A N. Q Kennehan, as you say it. Let him know you heard him. Wish him a Merry Christmas. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for being here. Enjoy your fancy new phone if you've got one, or enjoy your regular phone if you've got one. Whatever you're doing, cleaning up after a big Christmas lunch or driving on your big holiday adventure, enjoy getting to know and having a conversation with. Quentin Kennehan. How are you today, Quentin? I'm all right, buddy. Yeah? How's beautiful yeah. Adelaide this fine, fine day? It is a lovely autumn day. What is a lovely autumn day in Adelaide for you? Oh, you're, you're recording. That's it. Yes. Uh, a lovely autumn day. The sun is out. Birds are twerping. Twer twerping? Is that the word? Tweeting, but that's that's related to something that Donald Trump does now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm talking to one of my good mates. <laughs> that's good. Last time we spoke, uh, you were 
You were in Sydney for the premiere of Mad Max Fury Road, um, and now we're connecting over Skype. You're in Adelaide. I'm in Sydney. Uh, you've done a lot since then. You've released a book. You went on tour. You did a one-man show. Um, there's a lot to talk about today. Yeah. Yeah, I've been a busy lad. <laughs> you've been a busy You've been a busy man. You've got a radio show on the ABC. I do have a radio show on the ABC, which you have been a guest on. Why, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, tell me about um, what it was like putting the book together. People have asked me about, you know, maybe, you know, is it time to put a book together? And I, I, I fear it. I, I fear the, that amount of work. Um, what's it like? It's not the amount of work that scared me. It's the fact that I've got such – I've crammed so much into 42 years. It's not about what to put in. It's about what to leave out, and it's about what will create a interesting narrative. What am I trying to say in the book that remains true to itself? Um, and what do I want people to get out of it? That was really, that was the daunting part. What do I want to leave the reader with? How did you remind yourself of those guideposts? Uh, I had a publisher that would read every chapter and we would always talk about the narrative about what I'm trying to say and where it's trying to go and take readers on a journey, not just bombard them with individual stories but actually take them on a narrative that had highs and lows. Yeah. Yeah. And what was your what was your workflow like when you were writing it? Uh, uh, mm, uh, well, I signed the contract in June of 2016, 15, 16. Can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, I started it in June. No, I signed the contract in June 2015. I didn't actually get around to doing any of it until January 2016. And the deadline was? January 2016. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing you uh, you smashed it. I smashed it out in four and a half months. Wow. And I have this I have this theory in life that you only need to work constantly for three and a half hours a day. Mm-hmm. It's my theory. Um, and so what I would do is I would dictate uh, three hours into my iPhone and then I would email that off to someone that I was paying to type it all out every day. And at the end of the week, I'd get all these pages back and I'd read through them and then I'd email them off to the publisher. Making changes where you saw... Yeah. Yeah. But the good thing was that the that the dictation basically became a stream of consciousness. Uh-huh. And so I didn't go back and rewrite things. It was just said once in the phone and that was that. That was where it was. And so I always was mindful about what the st- what the chapter was about, where it needed to go, and what I needed to accomplish out of it. Yeah. You know, some and and the publisher would say, okay, we need a celebrity story here or we need something light and fun. So mm-hmm. something light and fun would be there. And then it would be, okay, we want we want to reveal some truth. So that would go in there. It was all, you know, what the 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 book needed at, at that moment. So I wondered, you know, what's the what's the creative input from a publisher? I, I didn't didn't realize that's what they did. It was more about it was more about keeping everyone happy. Yeah, it's about keeping the audience happy. It was about keeping my family happy because a lot of their stuff was going to come out. Um, it was understanding what an audience already knows about me and what I'm willing to show about myself. You know, I can't just give everything. Otherwise, there'd be nothing left for me. Right, right. Was Now, this week I, um, 
I interviewed um, Mark Holden, the former judge on Australian Idol, who's just written a book about his year of 2007 where he uh, got knifed from uh, Australian Idol and um, basically throws... Uh, I'm not going to say he throws people under the bus, but it does. It paints some of my former colleagues in a not very nice light. And um, it's and he, so I know, well, I know he had to he had to send a um, he had to send a few text messages and make a few phone calls. Did you have to do that? Nope. No. No, I refused it. Why? Because if it happened, it happened. Right. I I didn't see my book as some way to to claim victory or or or. or or to knife someone in the back if, yeah. you know, that's, I think that's a chick's way out. Right. You know, right. I think, um, I think uh, there are other ways than to have a sook in a book. <laughs> um, you, uh, you then took the book and you, uh, you, you turned it into a live show, which is, had, had the most fantastic name. Quentin, I'm 40 now what? <laughs> now, why Why did you call it I'm 40 now what? Because no one had believed that I would live to the age of 40. And when I did, I, I, I'd i done everything I've ever wanted to do, you know? I mean, I'd given myself the, a pretty big lorry list of, of things to obtain in life. You know, I wanted my own TV show. I did it. You were in it. I wanted to... Um, star in a Hollywood action film. I did it. You sat next to me at the premiere. I wanted to sit on the set of a Star Wars movie. You know, I worked on two of them. So this the this list that I'd obtained for myself that was very high in the sky, mm. somehow I managed to do it. And, yeah. Uh, it was about what do I do now? Right. Because if I'm not mistaken, last time we spoke, um, I remember you told a great story about one of the doctors coming in and it was all grave and, you know, took his glasses off and said, oh, Quentin, I uh, doesn't look very good. I don't know if you're going to make it through the night. And he said, sorry to burst your bubble, pal. That's not the first time anyone's told me that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that you've kind of lived a lot of your life with people telling you you're probably going to die. Yeah, and probably I will one day. Yeah, well, you, me too. I'm, it's going to happen. To, it's going to happen to me as well. Yeah. So I live. I live my life twenty four hours a day at a time. Don't plan much ahead. I just enjoy life. But it, it took you a while to get to to get to that, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I I I, I have a very good therapist. <laughs> very extensive therapist. Very what therapist? extensive background with my therapist. I, uh, I I ran out of hands to count how many therapists I've seen in my life. Oh, no, no, no. I, I'm stuck with the one. Oh, really? Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. I mean, once you've got a good one, you don't get rid of them. Yeah. And I wanted – and I've got someone that understands me mm -hmm. and that knows how to get me out of my rut. Because – People listening may not have ever considered therapy. What What would you say is important about why someone should go to therapy? Um, when you get locked in yourself too much and your friends aren't able to get you out of it, you need someone independent to be able to help you find the road back. That was really the way I saw it. But having seen someone your whole life, I'm sure your therapist must work quite hard to maintain the separation where they are able to call you on your bullshit. No, we don't. Like, I'd say she's a friend of mine, but yeah. I don't see her every day or every week, but she knows how to be honest. Right. You know, she knows that I don't do the whole, have you thought about writing that down, expressing your feelings on paper? You know, I don't do any of that stuff. I don't, I don't play the little psychology games. Oh, whatever works for you. Yeah, I just need someone to just hear me vent, help me understand why I'm feeling that way. Yeah. It's interesting when someone says to you, what did, what did my – I just came straight from my psychiatrist just then, for people that don't understand the difference. The psychiatrist prescribes you the medication. 
the psychologist talks you through things. There's two different things. Um, yeah, I've got a... I've got, I've, I've got both. Um, my psychiatrist says, um, oh, oh, that. Oh, that's called emotional projection. And when I, you know, when I, I think someone's being mean, and so I react as if they're being mean, and then they get confused, and then they're mean, and then I go, see, you're being mean. Um, and it's so funny that, as you mentioned, like once they mention what it is, you go, oh, oh, that's what it is. Oh, okay. And then you can, once you've got a name for it, you can identify it and catch it when it happens again. Yeah. And, and you know, my, my thing recently is getting upset by social media and taking things very personally on social media. And I didn't know how to react to that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I do think that there are a lot of pitfalls with being part of the social media world. Oh, yeah. I heard Mia Friedman describe uh, online hatred towards her um, in an interesting way. She was going through one of her, she calls them uh, social media outbreaks, when the outrage just goes in her direction. Um, she has a policy of never checking social media replies in her house um, because uh, f- the way she views it is that would I ever invite these people into my home to say these things to my face? No, I wouldn't. But when I check my app. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Replies on Twitter or Instagram. I'm inviting these people into my home where I share with my wife and my, my husband and my children. Um, and I, I kind of get that. And I, I understand that, that yes. she's able to put I, that distance in. I've got this new rule that I will not let anyone be my Facebook friend that I don't know. That's a great they can rule. Follow, they can follow my, my public page, but I will not have a Facebook friend that I don't know. And I don't mean met once or said g'day to in a lobby or whatever, I have to know them. And if I don't, then I'm just getting rid of them. I couldn't agree with you more. I um, I think I'm on my third Facebook profile because I'm such a wuss. Rather than defriending people, I just let them die in a weird digital death and um, then started a new Facebook profile and added people. <laughs> no, nah, I'm all about the cull. <laughs> it's all about the cull. Yeah. I, I find my life, I got off Facebook for quite a while and I found my life to be quite great because of it, to be honest. And what I love is I love the TV guide version of social media. You know, if you can't say it in 140 characters, it's not worth saying. Got it. Like those fantastic um, two-line synopsis of, of movies. Yeah. Yeah. Iron yeah, I love fist. it. Iron <laughs> Fist. Why? <laughs> Tell me about, you, you took some of the content from your book and you turned it into a one-man show. Tell me about putting that together. What was that like? Actually, really fun. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, it was originally going to be this woe is me, you know, basically an hour-long rant. And I spoke to Tim Ferguson, Ferguson from the Doug Anthony All-Stars and he just said, write the stories out and I'll make them funny. And you went from there? And we went from there. And the fun part was the rehearsal. The fun part was the rehearsal because I'd never memorised an hour's worth of text before. Yeah, right. You know, I'd never been that actor that had 
memorized, contextualized, and acted out an hour's worth of text. And that was the hardest but funnest thing to learn. What was it like working with Tim, who's someone I'm sh- sure has a career that you admired because he came up at the same time you and I both did? He was great. He just said, you know, what do you want? And I went, I don't want to take any prisoners with this. You know, I just want to be funny. You know, and I take a few digs at people. Can't say that uh, your friend Dicko got away scot-free. <laughs> I haven't seen him in a while. I hope he's doing all right. I talked to him on the radio a little while ago. Yeah, I feel sad for him. Why's that? I just think if you spend your life judging people and not willing to be judged, something a little sad about that. Yeah. What was it like doing the um, doing the show every night? Interesting, because there was one one day where I had a packed house, and the next day there were four people in the next night. Fuck. And I gave as much energy to the four people as I did to the packed house. You know, I just thought of it. You know, they're 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 paying patrons the same and so I just gave it my all yeah and that was the fun part because you could be a bit more cheeky with the four people yeah and interact a bit more and make it more more interactive for them so you you turned 40 how long ago now two years ago have you figured out the now what part yet I wrote a list of things in my book about what I want to achieve and I'm strangely enough I've already achieved two of them yeah. I went and met Jewel again. Oh, yeah. Uh, and now I'm working for, for her. How's that? Um, she's got a very uh, lovely self-help website, and I'm writing articles for her, um, sort of motivational articles. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, I, I, I think if anyone knows me, they know that for the last sort of 20 years I've obsessed about Jewel and how much I loved it. And uh, and I got to talk with her quite extensively a couple of weeks ago, um, thanks to a friend of mine. And uh, and she asked me to start working with her and she gave me her phone number and her, like her actual phone number <laughs> and her email address and we've just been keeping in touch and it's like a dream come true. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, because she was the one that set set me on the path to doing what I did. How's that? Well, I'd, I'd gotten out of drug rehab in about 2003, and I'd spent three years working as a telephonist at a TAFE college, and I'd finally decided to take the big step and try and become a filmmaker. And I'd gotten given given tickets to her concert and... I went there and one of the roadies had noticed me from TV from years ago and ushered me backstage. And uh, and Jewel started talking to me. She was like 22, 23 at the time. And she said, so what do you want to do in life? And I said, well, I want to make it on TV and be a film star and this and that and blah, blah. And I said, I just don't know how I'm going to do it. And she looked at me and she said, honey, I used to live in my car and now I've got the number one album in the world. So if I can do it, you can do it. And I thought, yeah, why should I follow the rules of other people's boundaries? Why don't I have the right to just go out and get the brass ring as well? And so I did. And the rest is history. So I feel a lot of gratefulness towards going for being able to to contextualize what it meant to go after what you want. It's interesting. Interesting you say that because for a long time I, I shared a similar um, outlook, certainly on on what it was to have a career, and that um, I was always at the whim of the gatekeepers. I uh, never really yeah. thought. I never really thought that it was possible for me to build my own gate. Yeah, but. Now I feel as though my outlook in life has changed. Yeah? How so? Well, I've spent the last 20 years 
creating a career and I've done everything I've wanted to. Now I'm taking the elevator back down and trying to inspire others to follow their dreams. And that's mm. my goal. And how do you do that? Well, the radio show is one thing. Um, my YouTube channel is another, but generally just meeting people. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about the radio show. How'd that gig come along? Uh, I asked. <laughs> yeah, you did. I'd proven myself um, at ABC in Adelaide, and I said, look, I've I've done this gig for two years. I've, I've established myself as a bit of a brand on ABC. I'd like a bigger role. And they gave me four weeks to prove myself, and that was two years ago. What do you like about it? I love the fact that I get to help people tell their own stories in a way that inspires others. Yeah. And the creative process that comes from that. And hearing other people's stories and and being inspired by them just as much as the listeners are. I love that. Yeah. Like, I just didn't, I just, uh, I just interviewed uh, Jordan Raskopoulos, who is the trans uh, woman from the Access of Awesome. And just understanding the journey that she's gone through and, and the, the sort of things that she faces today just made me think about what a complex issue trans rights are and, 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 and how easy, you know, certain way I've got it compared to to others in this world who are still fighting for their place in society. You know, that inspired me and 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 in and I hope was able to inspire others. To hear you say when I look at how easy I've got it and I look at other people that don't have that now I meant in, in the head. Oh you know, the, there's a lot of there's a lot of inward fighting that people still go through in their in themselves about fighting for their place in society. Yeah, I found my place. I know who I am. I know what I want. As now, you've never been backward and coming forward. Um, and it's been said in the recent um, Dave Chappelle stand-up special, which is on Netflix that I saw the other day with Audrey, which is freaking I great. Loved it. Yeah, it's really good. He brings up a really good point. Um, he goes like LGBTI. He goes, T, you've got you've got a hard road ahead of you. Exactly, but the fact that these people are willing to go down it is amazing. I've just connected with a person named Asia Kate Dillon, who plays Taylor on Billions, and uh, they identify themselves as non-binary, and the pronouns are they, them, their, and for a while that took a while for me to get my head around, but I get it because the person wants to be identified as neither male or female, and whilst I don't necessarily have to understand it, I can respect it. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at... You know, the world, you're someone, you had a, a pho- photographic exhibition um, a few years back now. Um, was it called The yeah, View I've From? <laughs> huh? Yeah, I've done that too. What What was it called again? Uh, my Town at My Level. My Town at My Level. So you've, you've, looked, you've looked at the world from this particular outlook for pretty much your whole life. You've, you know, you've lived your life in, in a wheelchair. When you look now at kids who are maybe just entering the adult world who are in a similar position, yep. do, you, do you feel a sense of, thank fuck you don't have to go through what I did, or I can't believe they're still doing that shit? I can't believe that they're still doing a lot of the things that they do. Oh, really? I feel, really? The, 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 I feel that, uh, that the rights for people with a disability are more important today than they were 20 years ago, you know, we've, we've got care workers that are being caught out on hideous abuses. We've got 
people from other countries who come here that don't understand disability rights because they don't have disability rights in their country of origin. Um, so there's the bad treatment that comes from that. Um, and I face that. Uh, there's the fact that the amount of funding for disability and health is so pitiful than it was 20 years ago. You know, it's just sad. So I, whilst whilst there's not that in- institutionalisation model, it's still just as hard. What is it that, what can we do about it? It's about education and it's about, and it's about putting the power back into the hands of people with disabilities. So when you say uh, putting the people who are involved in the decision-making process, is that not, not not happening? Well, you find that, you know, the care agencies and government organisations have these committees, but none of them have people with disabilities on them. You know, they're all able-bodied people that that make decisions on our behalf rather than our peers making them with us. And I just think in this day and age, it needs to change. Yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't imagine that's like that famous photo of the uh, the Trump administration making the women's health care bill um, judgment, and it's a room full of men. Exactly. <laughs> so how how can you get how can you get peers involved in that decision making process? It's just about education, about lobbying. Yeah. 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 Is there a you know you but see it? On the- I, I don't want to do it from the standpoint of being. Everyone's been asking me to run for. A, government office lately yeah i don't and i thought about it and i don't want to do it because it means i'm tied to a party that has to express their opinion whereas i want to be able to keep mine for myself and what i believe which right. is why i love which is why i love advocating there's more freedom in advocacy because you can petition whoever's in power exactly yeah because there is um i don't know is there I don't know. I don't know if it's a parallel to draw, but how can I put this obtusely? Um, is there a sense of look? You're getting money from the government. You should feel lucky. Suck it up. Uh, mm, that's like saying to someone on the dole, "You should. You're getting dole money. Suck it up." Because it seems that every second week, uh, certainly here in Sydney, there's the Daily Telegraph, which is a massively read newspaper. I think it's the same as the Advertiser in Adelaide. And it's got NDIS bludgers, could work but refuse to. You know, all this kind of shit on the front pages, demonising people on the NDIS. Yep. And I, that, I think that's what I'm referring to is... I think there are people that 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 play the game. Yeah. But I do think the majority of us are legitimate. I know that with my health now, I couldn't hold down a full-time job anymore. And it's sad that I have to say that, but, you know, I'm hooked to an oxygen tank 24-7. There's no way I'd have the energy for a, a full-time gig, um, nor do I want one, you know. I've done my time. <laughs> I did my 20 years. Oh, you started, but fair enough, though, you started work when you were, what, five, seven? Seven. Yeah. Yeah. And no gold watch. <laughs> I don't think people want a gold watch anymore. Hey, if it's a Rolex, I'll take it. Oh, just take any decent pension, you know? That'd be all right. So when you do, when do you have much contact with uh, young men and women uh, who are, you know, living life without being kind of, without a body that's kind of conforms to the majority of what Australians have? Online I do. Yeah, yeah. on Twitter, Facebook. I think there's a... A growing number of men and women, and and who are now lending their voices. Um, a lady by the name of Carly Finley, who you've interviewed. Yeah, I think she's yeah. become a great advocate for Australia uh, within the disability community. Um, I think she's really picked up the mantle and 
who's running with it. And I think she's a better wordsmith than what I could possibly be in the sector. And, and it's really good to see that there are others who are really talented creatively um, like her that are willing to put themselves out there and express the way they feel. There was a time when I first got to know you, there's a time where you were like, ah, I won't say the word, uh, but it rhymes, with, it. it rhymes with hippos. Ah, <laughs> uh, crippos. You would say, oh, they keep asking me, to, I don't want anything to do with them, they're always bloody whinging. But yeah, I didn't want anything to do with it. What changed? I finally saw what the problem was. I, I, I got out of my own little shell. You know, I was so busy trying to create a, a success of myself, I didn't want to be identified with with inability. And to be honest, I, I just wanted to focus on becoming a success. But in 2005, I got the opportunity to mentor some artists with disabilities. And just seeing their creativity changed the way I thought. You know, the stories that they told, uh, the art that they were creating, it was really moving. And being able to help them in a way sort of changed my attitude. You feel better about it now? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'm the best advocate, but I think that I'm good at bridging a gap between able-bodied people and, and people with disabilities. You certainly seem a lot more at peace than when I first met you, Quentin. Yeah, I'm not the angry young man you met. <laughs> I was very angry back then. <laughs> That's okay. You know, I could, I get why there would have been that anger. No, anger fueled me. You know, it's, it was, it was. I'm not successful yet. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I want to do this. I want to do that. You know, I really wanted to be the man. But that, that can be a great driver for many people. You're not alone there. Yeah, but becoming the man is all well and good. But once you get there, you kind of just look look from the top and go, well, I made it. <laughs> now what? <laughs> I don't want to climb down. The view is good, but what now? <laughs> you know, you've been there, you know. It's empty and meaningless the whole way if you don't stop and enjoy it, I found. Exactly, and I wasn't enjoying it. But now, you know, I enjoy every minute of it. You know, uh, I remember being at the finale of Australian Idol, the very first one, you know, and I had such a blase attitude about it, really horrible attitude about it. You know, it was almost like, eh, could be better. (laughs) Eh, the acoustics suck. Eh, whatever. Why didn't Shannon win, you know? <laughs> and the fact that I was even thinking that horrified myself. I was just like, dude, you're sitting here. You've just had your show air to be the number one show in the country. You're affiliated with the top, with the highest rating show in the world. I can smell the roses for a little bit, dude. <laughs> but I was blase about it. I was like, yeah, whatever. I certainly, I certainly relate to that because that's uh, very much how I, I remember standing on that stage after all the confetti cannons had stopped fluttering down and the room emptied out very quickly. I remember standing there just be like, "Well, what are we supposed to do now? It's done." Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't even, didn't even stop to enjoy what it was. Neither, neither did I. You know, and it wasn't until. It wasn't until basically Mad Max that I really stopped to appreciate it. You know, I made sure that I looked at every little thing in the studio, you know, all the cameras, all the lights, the green screen, the, you know, I took it all in and I I just, wow, that was, that's, because it's the pinnacle of everything I ever wanted. Yeah. And I made sure that I remembered every little moment. I'm really happy you found your way to that, Quentin. I am too, you know, and I don't care that I'm only in the show for a 
a minute and 24 seconds or something like that. But damn it, I'm the second last image in the whole damn film. <laughs> and I didn't get killed off. And you made the comic book. And I made the com- I mean a comic book for God's sake. <laughs> that, you know, who gets that? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm happy, uh, I'm happy you are where you are, Quentin. Yeah, thank you. You know, things could be better. Like, I could, I could be a bit happier and a bit more employed, but, you know, it swings and roundabouts. Yeah, you've chosen a seasonal industry to be in, man. Yeah, you know, and somehow the universe will provide. You just have to wait. Put yourself out there. I've got a couple of good things coming up. I can't wait to figure them all out, man. I can't wait to. Fi- I can't wait to see them all. It's gonna be good. <laughs> it's gonna be good. Quentin, you're an absolute gentleman. I'm grateful we could talk today, man. Thank you. I'm glad I could come back to the sequel. Yeah. See, I'm back. Back to the Osher Gunsberg sequel. Yeah. How cool is that? Am I your first secondary guest? I'm sorry, I'm, you're not my first secondary guest. That's okay, at least I'm one of the few. You're the first ever second Quentin I've ever had. That sounds sexual, and I love it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Quentin, it's good, to, it's good to see you, man. It's always good to see you on a good day, man. Thank you. It's good to see you, my brother. All right, mate. Have a fantastic night, and say hi to Patchy, the, the dog, for me. I will. That was Quentin Kennehan. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Q-K-E-N-I-H-A-N. Let him know you heard him here. Wish him a Merry Christmas. Uh, if you are driving on your big holiday, uh, please take care, take time. Remember that everyone else on the road is probably their first day driving. So if they do something stupid, it's like, yeah, you know what? I did something stupid my first day too. You know what, buddy? I'm going to give you some space because it's going to keep us both alive. Oh, yeah. Have a great one. Another, oh, I'm going to talk to you on, I think, New Year's Day's next time we speak. Is that right? Let me check my calendar. Uh, yeah. I'm going to, we're going to speak next on New Year's Day. That's exciting. So take care. Happy New Year. Stay safe. Have fun. Till we talk next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.